Okay, good morning. Welcome. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. Please rise for the reading of God's Word. We are in Luke, the book of Luke, going chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, we are in verse 9. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. And when you get it, keep it. It's a gift to you. We'd like everyone to be in God's word and have it available to them. Verse 9, and he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me. A sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you will show us your heart this morning. And I pray that after you do that, Lord, we will walk out of here changed. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So last week we were in the first eight verses of this chapter, the parable of the persistent widow. This widow had lost her husband, and then the little she had had been ripped off. She went to a judge to get justice, but he ignored her. And it says in verse 2 that he didn't fear God or care about man. But this widow was not going to give up. Everywhere the judge went, she showed up. She waited for him at his door when he left the house in the morning. She followed him to the courthouse, pestering him the whole way there. She waited outside the courthouse and accosted him whenever he showed his face. When he went to the market, she went, met him there. When he went to someone's house for dinner, she was there. When he showed up at parties, sporting events, chariot races, whatever they had back then, family gatherings. She made herself a part of the family. 
She was there. Pounded on his door at night. The persistent widow. Finally, in verse 4, we read, the judge said, even though I do not fear God or care about man, because this woman troubles me, I will venture. I'll just give her justice. I'm going to give her, what her whatever she wants, lest her continual coming to me, she weary me. And that word weary, it's the Greek word in the underlying Greek, hippopiazo. The Strong's Dictionary defines it this way, this word weary. To beat black and blue. To smite, which means to strike. To smite as to cause bruises and livid spots. Wow. She was really giving it to him. She was beating up the guy with her cries for justice. Jesus says in verse 7, even if a human judge, well, actually, let me read the actual verse. It says, and sh- it says in verse 6, hear what the unjust judge said, and shall not God avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them. Meaning, even if a even a human judge, and one who is wicked will answer cries of that widow, how much more God to his own children. So why does Jesus give the disciples to his, rather, why does he give this parable to his disciples? It says in verse one, we read this, spent quite a bit of time on verse one last week. It's, he is telling them the importance of prayer. It says in verse 1, he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and to not lose heart. And, and, and so we spoke about that, the importance of a lifestyle of prayer. You know, life, it's a continual series of events, every event of which should trigger prayer. Your alarm goes off in the morning. You don't want to get up. Help me, Lord. You get into the shower and there's no hot water. Help me, Lord. The hot water turns on. Praise you, Lord. You know, and you get in your car. You go to work. The car doesn't work. Help me, Lord. A coworker comes by right after that, asks you if you want to ride. Praise you, Lord. And every frustration, every anxiety, every fear, every temptation, every temptation, every temptation. should trigger prayer. Not playing with the frustration, not playing with the anxiety, not playing with the fear, not playing with that temptation. Prayer. Life is just a series of events, all of which should trigger uh, prayer. Pain in your body, prayer. Victory in your life, prayer. Everything, you know, in my neighborhood, it's a city neighborhood. A lot of people go by my house. But, you know, I noticed the same people. And there's a certain people I decided quite a while ago, every time I see them walk in front of my house, I'm going to pray for them. Every time. 
We have a bunch of basketball players in this church. How about every time you hit a basket, praising God? Let every basket be a reminder to praise God. Think about it. Instead of hitting a basket, instead of saying to yourself, ooh, Steve, just the way you cut under that guy and put it up. Ooh. Instead of that, just think about it. Just, just a reminder to, to praise God uh, instead. And, and so uh, I, I just, I think I shared this, this with you at the end of last service. I pray today so much more than I did 10 years ago. And I believe if I'm still around that 10 years from now, I'll be praying a lot more. And I'll tell you why. And the, the prayer I have prayed as much as any other prayer in the last 10 years, and I strongly recommend this prayer, always be on your lips. And it's just simply this, God, would you please make me pray more? I don't like the fact that six hours just went by and I haven't even thought of you, much less prayed about you. Four hours, two hours, one hour, 15 minutes. Lord, what, what is going on? I, I just don't even feel different than I was two years ago. You know, it's the nature of fallen man, more on that in a second, that we're in our own world. And God is calling us out. You pray that prayer to God. Like this persistent widow in verses 1 through 8, you pray that particular prayer. God, come on, make me pray more. I can't stay like this. And I assure you, I promise you, that you will begin to experience a lifestyle of prayer. God created you to pray to him. He created you to be in a relationship with him. But there is no relationship without prayer. And so I just was recited a few verses last week at the end, and I'm just going to begin with where we ended. Men always ought to pray. That's the first verse, but I thought it would be good just to put it right up front in front of our eyes. The next one. Ephesians 6.18, pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, pray without ceasing. That's what you call clarity. And then if we go into the Psalms, we could be here all day. Pray at all times. Verse 1, men ought always to pray. So that's where we finished off last week. The issue is so important. That's what God created us for, prayer and praise to glorify him and enjoy him forever. But now here's the deal. The problem with you and me, the problem with us is we read those eight verses, we read a parable like that, and we turn the whole prayer thing into a religion, into a mindless ritual and okay, Jesus, Jesus said men always ought to pray. I'm going to pray five times a day. Every day, five times a day, 365 times a year at certain times of the day. Or, or, or I'm going to pray 10 times a day. I'm going to pray 20 times a day. I'm going to set my alarm, go off every five minutes, and I'm going to pray. 
Or, yeah, I'll pray every time I hit a basket. Or I'll pray every time I see this person or that person. And, but, but, but listen, so important. In God's economy, and this is why Jesus follows with this parable about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In God's economy, it's not the number of prayers supremely. It's about the heart behind the prayer. A lifestyle of prayer is supremely not about how often you pray. Although certainly the Bible's real clear. Pray at, men ought always to pray. Women ought, ought, ought always to pray. But it's about the heart behind your prayer. Not surprising where Jesus goes in verse 9. It says, and he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised other. Two men went up to the temple to pray. See, this is a continuation of a teaching on prayer. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners. An extortioner is basically just an armed robber, that type of thing. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. So there was a tax collector in the area, and he's looking over. I thank you, God that I'm not like this guy over here. I fast twice a week. Bible only required a Jewish person to fast once a year. Man, he did it twice a week. And I give tithes of all that I possess, meaning he gave 10% of all his income, and he says even all that he possessed. Then verse 13 says, And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, meaning the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So again, there's two people show up at church, the temple. One's a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, these, the Pharisees, these were strict religious church people on the outside. They had it all down. The Bible thing, the church thing, they had it all down. If you compared their life to most of the laws in the Bible, they were above reproach, meaning they were following them all, most of the law. The tax collectors, on the contrary, they were the most hated people in society. They were Jewish people who had been hired by the Romans to collect taxes, And the tax collectors were allowed to collect from the people way, way more taxes than the people actually owed to Rome. And the tax collectors gave to Rome what was due Rome, and they kept all the rest for themselves. And they just became fabulously wealthy. 
people became literally impoverished because they were overpaying taxes, many times going hungry, while tax collectors lived like kings. People despised them. They hated them because of it. So a Pharisee, a tax collector, they both show up at church to pray. Now, before we go on, I think it's really important that I say something about what the Bible says about God, man, and man coming into the presence of God like these two men did. The temple at the time represented the presence of God. God actually was, he was in the most holy place in the temple, uh, the Shekinah there. I, w- I feel like I need to say something. I want to set this, uh, give, give you sort of a biblical understanding with the Bible says about God-man and man and God coming together. Now, the Bible says that God is love. I don't know how many zillion times in the Bible God is referred to as a God whose very character, whose name is love. There's, of course, a verse in the Bible, 1 John 4, 16. God is love. God is love. That's who he is. Everything God does or has ever done is either done as an expression of love or is perfectly consistent with his love. When God created the heavens and earth, it was an expression of love. When he created Adam and Eve, it was a, uh, an expression of love. When he created you, it was an expression of his love. But the Bible teaches us in Genesis chapter 3 that Adam and Eve rejected that love. They grievously sinned against love. They did the one thing and the only thing that God told them not to do. What made them do it? Anyone? Pride. They convinced themselves that they were more than who they were created to be. And guess what? What they were created to be was incredible. They were made in God's image. They were created with incredible honor and and and. and the Bible even says glory and beauty, greater than all of God's creation, but they were not greater than God, and it was pride that God made them sin against God. But now, in addition to the teaching that, that God is love, the Bible says that God is perfectly just. He's perfectly just. He is perfection. And he deserves 100% obedience all the time. And God, the Bible says, is a perfect judge. He has an advantage over every judge in the world. He is perfect. He's perfectly just. So when Adam and Eve did that one thing, the only thing that God told them not to do, God punished them. He had to. It was in his very nature. Justice. And the punishment was death, which God had told them the punishment would be. He said he had previously told them there's one thing, only one thing that you're not allowed to do, eat of the fruit in the middle of the garden. That one thing, that only thing you're not allowed to do, but if you do it, you will surely die. They did it. God was true to his word. He punishment, 
punish them. The punishment was death. It was a death in their relationship with him, and it was also eventually a literal death, a physical death. Right then, their body began to die. (laughs) Now, the consequences, the aftermath of Adam and Eve's choice to reject God, to disobey him, were devastating. Within one generation, men were killing themselves. Think about that. One generation, within one, men were killing themselves. By Genesis chapter 6, we read this in verse 11 and 12. Genesis chapter 6. The earth was corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. So God looked upon the earth, and indeed it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And it was at that time that God judged the world. He destroyed the world with a flood, but he preserved Noah and his family. But here's the deal. And we'll get back to Luke 18 in just a minute. Just a minute. But this is important. This. Can we put that last verse up? This is what. This is what's in our gene pool. This is what we inherited from our father and our father's father, and our father's father, the, the corruption. That's what's in, 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 the, in, the, in the gene pool. That's what we got from our parents. And because of that, because of that, because this is in all our gene pool, every man and woman, every child, there is now only one way, one basis that man can ever come to God. In fact, before man, before man fell, it was the same thing. There's only one basis that man can ever come to God, and that is by his mercy. Meaning, I, me, you, we, everyone who's ever lived can't come to God or ask anything of him, including prayer, based on some good thing that we have done. Why? Because all flesh is corrupt. And so we read these verses in the Bible sometimes. This one from uh, the book of Isaiah in chapter uh, 64. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So even the best thing we can do are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and I love this, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. Away from who? Away from God. Psalm 130, verse 3, if you, Lord, kept a record of sins, who could stand? And then in Psalm 40, verse 12, it says, my iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart fails before me. And that's just spoken of a man that understands, as David, who understands there's only one way, one basis that any man or woman that can ever come to God, like this Pharisee and this tax collector, and it's by God's mercy. No man or woman can ever show up in God's presence because he or she deserves to be there but only because God 
because of his mercy, his love has provided a way. So with all that, all that let's read again verse 9. It says, and he, Jesus, spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. So yes, men always ought to pray. Men always ought to come to God to pray like a widow and the unjust judge always, but never should they come trusting in their own goodness as if they deserve to be in the presence of God, as if they deserve to have their prayers answered. Never. So let's look at this Pharisee, this church man, this Pharisee. Verse 11 says that Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like any other man, an extortioner, an unjust, adulterer, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Big problem, right? I mean, this guy clearly thinks he deserves to be there. And he clearly does. He deserves to be there in the temple praying with God. Notice how often in his very short prayer that the word I is used. Now, we actually see it with our eyes six times, but if you really break it down, the word I is used nine times. In this short prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like any other man. I am not an extortioner. I am not unjust. I am not an adulterer. I am not even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Oh, boy, two-verse lesson on how not to pray. (laughs) That word I. Now, but here's the scary thing. Here is what is so scary to me. And and remember, please, we read this word not for someone else pointing out, I wish uh, Sally Jones was here. You know, that's not why we read it. We read it because we have a piece, a chunk of Pharisee in our own heart and the God spirit is speaking right into our hearts. Here's the scary thing. And I hope this spooks every single one of you in here. It certainly spooked me. Notice in verse 11, it says, the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. That word with, it's a Greek word pros. Overwhelmingly in the New Testament, it's, it's translated not with, but to. This guy's just praying to himself. He had shut God out. That is what is so scary to me. And, and, and we have this tendency, man, if we had a good week, oh, we deserve to come to church. We deserve to pray. We deserve to do some kind of ministry. When we do that, we're shutting God out, the Bible says. We literally do that. We shut him out. This guy comes to the temple to pray. He's not even praying to God. Because he's so focused on self. And we are, because remember what our gene pool is. Remember, we are so given and inclined to doing the very same thing. So he's having a conversation with himself. And he shut God out. And, and I tell you, that really gets my attention. I don't want to shut God out. Man, if there's something that I am capable of doing that can shut God out of my life, I want to know what it is. Well, listen up. 
there are actually two things listed in these verses which a man or woman can do to shut God out. The first we've already talked about, never come to God trusting in your own good, goodness. You, that is like shutting the Lord out. It's like shutting him down. But there is another thing mentioned here. Again, verse 9 says what? He spoke this parable of some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and what? Despised others. Now, I, I'm sure that's a good translation, but you know, sometimes as I'm preparing a message, it's like I wish certain words weren't translated the way that they are because this p- particular word, the root uh, Greek word here is the word udes, which just means nothing. You see, we don't, like, we don't see ourselves because we have an inflated opinion of ourselves. We don't see ourselves as people who despise others. But we do. If all that we do is look upon another person in such a way that that person is beneath us, that we're translated nothing, as if they're nothing, as if they're not important, as if we are even a microcentimeter above them in the eyes of God. We do despise others. And we shut God out. We shut God out. First Timothy one fifteen. Paul, the apostle, wrote, what, about a third of the New Testament? He said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. And so, if you grew up in church, if you grew up reading the Bible, if you grew up not doing a lot of the stuff that is out there in the world, whatever it is, sexual immorality, drinking drugs, whatever, if you don't understand that according to the word of God, you are no better than any other person on the face of the earth, you, in a sense, are like this Pharisee and you're shutting God out. You're shutting God out. It says, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. And so, you know, look, if you're feeling spiritually dry, or if you're feeling that God seems to be in a place that is far off, could it be that you've shut God out? Because, man, there's something about you that you just think you deserve something from God. Or you look upon another, any other, 
as some, someone less than you. I'm telling you, this is just a wonderful, healthy, edifying, which means building up parable to my heart. And I hope it is to yours. It says in verse 13, it says, and the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So this tax collector had probably spent years ripping people off. My guess is that he had no ability. Something, some financial thing had happened to him where he had no ability to pay anyone back. And when we have a right understanding of sin, of of sins that we have sinned against other people and God, we're at the place where this tax collector is that really we we really don't have much of an ability to, to pay anything back. The thief on the cross, it was over in terms of being able to pay anyone back, right? And you're in a healthy place before God where you realize there's absolutely nothing in the world that I can do to pay back for the wrong I've done. This guy probably spent years living, as we read in the last chapter, sumptuously, meaning basically feeding his face in his life with whatever he wanted, while others went impoverished and, and, and quite possibly many could have died. God realized, God exposes, lifts the blinders off his eyes. Oh no, look at what I have done. And he can't even lift his eyes to God. He can't even lift his eyes to God. He is like David in in Psalm 40 that we we, we read and we put up on the the, the projection screen before that, man, that my sins are more than the uh, uh, hairs of my head and and I'm undone. I can't even look at you, God. And and, and that's where this, this man is at this point. Beating his breast, his chest. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He understands there's only one basis that God, that we can approach God, and that's his mercy. It's not because we deserve it. Now, I like to approach, I like to approach this reading here, this tax collector, not only individually, but really as a church. What was the sin of Adam and Eve? It was pride. What was the sin of the Pharisee? It was pride. There's so much pride in the body of Christ. We should be beating our breasts there's so much, pr- there, 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 we live in such a fallen world. We, we, we should be beating our chests before the Lord. The Bible says prior to, revival is always preceded by the body of Christ, not the world, the body of Christ humbling itself and 
beating its breast. Oh, God, have mercy. You know, when we just look out in, over the last month, just, just what did we see in Genesis chapter 6? It said the world looked over, over the, uh, the world, and there was such violence. And all flesh, all man was corrupt, it says. And just, just, you know, just see this thing that happened with Trayvon Martin. Now, the, the issue that I absolutely don't want to get into is, is guilt or innocence and whether there was a legal basis for that. But let me tell you, the whole thing, the church should be beating its breasts. Look at what's going on in the world. People killing each other. And, 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 you know, they're, they're, it, it, it's amazing how much, uh, how much uh, n- news coverage gets of uh, heart disease and cancer where far more of our kids in this country get murdered. What do you think God, we read chapter 6 of Genesis, what do you think God is, is saying He's, he's looking over the world and he's seeing violence and yet there's the body of Christ. Are we interceding on behalf of our country? We are seeing the, uh, the many in the church abdicate their responsibility as stewards of the word of God. In, 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 in so many uh, different areas, soft peddling, truth, we should be beating our breasts. John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, has this wonderful quote. Actually, I have it on the projection screen. Written a few hundred years ago, in his older years. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great savior. The only basis for man to come into the presence of God, it it can never be something that he did or she did. It can only be because God has provided a way. And he has. And that way is Jesus Christ. The punishment for our sin is death. And not a temporal one, a temporary one. It's an eternal one. But the Bible says that God so loved the world, he sent his only son into the world to die that death for us. Bible says that he tasted hell for us and that the grave he died but the grave could not keep him he could could not keep him there dead but he had victory over the the grave he rose from the dead he ascended into heaven now he pours out life on anyone who is willing to get off the throne of their heart and say, Jesus, come in. And the good news 
that Jesus says. He says that um, all who come to me, all you who are heavy laden and you are weary, come to me for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's a gracious Savior. There's only one thing that's harder than asking Jesus in your life and taking on his yoke, and that's the yoke of the world. Oh, man, it'll crush you. He, God, created you for a relationship with him. And, man, if you've never done that this morning... Or rather, if you've never done that, this morning we're going to give you an opportunity. If the worship team could just come up now. We're going to close with um, a, the, a communion service. Uh, or we're going to be sharing communion with each, other, with, uh, with each other. And if you've been asked to pray, please come up. Or the worship team can come up. The Bible says that before we have communion, before we take of the cup or, or take of the bread, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let a man, let a woman, let a child examine themselves. And by that, the Bible means this. Something incredibly grave, awesome, and incredible happened at the cross. Jesus died for all your sins. He died not only to pay for the punishment of your sins, the penalty, but also to give you power over sin. Now, as long as we're in these bodies, before we go to heaven or Jesus comes back, we're always going to sin. The Bible says we stumble and fall in many ways. But we don't, we can always have the choice not to, the Bible says. And if we choose to live a life of sin... In spite of the cross, the Bible says we're treating the cross as a light thing, as a light matter. Don't do that. Let a man or woman examine himself before he has communion because communion, the, the, the cup and the bread, they represent Jesus' blood on the cross. They represent Jesus' body, which was broken for you. And so, so important that before we have communion, if there's, if there's something that we're holding on to that we know we shouldn't, just to come up and pray. This is a time, it's a family time. It's a time to be vulnerable. Pray alongside a brother or sister. I'll be up here. You can, can pray with me if you'd like. Or if there's anything else, you know, let's not go to the communion table if there is anything else in your heart or a burden you came in with this morning that Christ died so that you could really pray about this thing that you're fearing or that you're worrying about or that you're angry about. He died so that you could pray and, 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 and that he could respond. So before going to the communion table, any, any prayer uh, that you may have, but also if you have you know, if the other thing is, if you, if, if you do look on another human being, if there's some unforgiveness or bitterness in your heart or, or, or you're looking upon other persons, person as anything less than someone who's created in the image of God, you just like to pray through because of some offense, the person who has done against you and you just like to pray with a brother or sister about that. When the uh, worship team uh, begins, come up and, and let's pray um, 
about that. Uh, and also, and 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 if and whatever time you you feel led, we have the cups and the bread in the back. Just make your way to the back and get a cup, a piece of bread, and and come on back, and we'll have communion together. Father, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the blood. Oh, how we are always falling back, Lord, into that sense that we've earned or deserved something. Or how often, Lord, we fall into that trap of thinking, of, of messing up bad and thinking there's something that we need to do in order to get back in to your grace when your word says that the blood of Jesus has cleansed us from all sin. We believe, Lord, in what you have done for us, the cross, the burial, the resurrection, the pouring out of your spirit, the gift of life, Lord, you have set us free. We thank you for that this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.